You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we have a very special guest, David Osborne. David is the author of two books, uh, one which he has written with Hal Elrod, The Miracle Morning Millionaires, What the Wealthy Do Before 8 a.m. That Will Make You Rich, and Wealth Can't Wait, Avoid the Seven Wealth Traps, Implement Seven Business Pillars, and Complete a Life Audit. Today, he is a uh, real estate, uh, I don't want to call you a tycoon here because that sounds a little, uh, I don't know how that sounds to you, but you have a business with over 4,300 agents in your brokerage, and we're talking about $8 billion in annual sales revenue. You've started over 50 different companies. A lot of those are, are real estate holding companies, multiple streams of income. And uh, I'm really just looking forward to chatting and, and seeing what our listeners can get out of our conversation today. So thank you, Matt. David. Yeah, my pleasure. Great to be with you, Matt. I'm looking forward to the conversation. No, that, that sounds great. David, I, I think I originally came across your... Uh, your work when I heard a conversation between you and uh, Dave Asprey on Bulletproof and there's something that I you know I hadn't thought about it for a while I think I asked uh, Hannah our, our producer to hey reach out to David I think he's got a lot of good stuff going on and I I hadn't really thought much I don't know when that episode came out a couple months ago or, or at least a, f a few months ago anyhow but there was one thing that I wanted to, to share with you that I had thought I think about it all the time and you said it in that episode and it was just you know a random podcast that I listened to and uh, you know I didn't think too much more of it but you talked about uh, the experience that you have as an entrepreneur and when you're listening to someone especially your wife uh, that you always make sure that you listen instead of immediately being that problem solver and jumping into action and trying to fix whatever's going on, uh, whatever she's she's telling you about. And I think about that all the time when I'm listening to my girlfriend and instead of giving suggestions and advice and, uh, you know, going into problem solving mode, just trying to go into listening mode. So I wanted to personally thank you for that uh, that nugget you shared. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. I'm a student of life, and uh, I, I probably bang my head against the wall and make mistakes a thousand times in a row. But once it sinks in, it sinks in. And you know, there's a killer video on the internet called called "It's Not About the Nail," and I don't know if you've ever looked that one up, but for sure, we guys tend to jump into fix mode, and and a lot of times our ladies just want to be listened to, and and uh, maybe maybe a lot of people just want to be listened to, guys and girls, instead of you telling them simple solutions. So uh, it's been really good for my relationship to walk and listen instead of solve. And, uh, you know, I'm still still work in progress a little bit on that one, but I, I'm better at it, way better at it than I ever was before. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, yeah, we appreciate you passing these kind of things on after after your own personal life lessons in, in whatever form they are, whether on podcasts or in the, the two books now that you've written. Uh, so I want to just hear your, your story a little bit more. And uh, for for some of the listeners who are not maybe so familiar with it. Uh, how did you get to be David Osborne? Yeah, so like I'm a pinball, bounced into a pinball machine as a kid. My dad was military. We were moved all over the country and Germany and England. You know, so we, we moved probably 10 times before I was 13. 
ended up going to school in Germany, school in England. And then finally he retired uh, at age 14. And I came back to the United States to Austin, Texas. My dad was a San Antonio boy. So I really have had this life of just constant change and movement, which is good and bad as, as everything is in life, depending on how you look at it. The good is always used to new situations, new environments, learn to adapt very quickly, learn to engage very quickly, um, and learn to sort of see the world through bigger eyes than just if I'd lived my entire life in Austin, Texas. That's the cool thing about growing up in Europe is, you know, Europe has, what, 30 countries all within a few hours of each other. And so you can see, you can have a massive cultural shift very quickly. So it enables you to sort of step out of a smaller world and see a bigger world. That served me very well in this lifetime. And uh, then I got to America um, and I was a bit of a rebel. And so my dad was pretty tough. I wasn't afraid of teachers. So I ended up getting asked to leave a few private schools, three in fact, um, with a move included and the bookend schools. I ended up going to eight schools in four years. Again, like constant change, constant adaptation, constantly sort of trying to figure out how to fit in and how to make friends quickly uh, gives you a certain skill set that can serve you for a lifetime. Um, I never was a great student at school. I was pretty much a C, C student, but I was always a hard worker. I always had a job on the side, a side hustle, you'd call it nowadays. I used to work construction. I started a lawn mowing company, um, and then I also worked all the way through college. And I liked working. I found that reasonable and intelligent. And, and then as I got further in my career, once I graduated from college and I got into a career where I could actually make money based on my skill set, normally I was selling my time for hours. That's, a, that's all you can do there is work faster if you have like a lawn mowing company. But once you get into the real world, and I started selling computer systems and then I got into real estate sales. That's where I learned the power of learning. That's where I learned that if I learn the right script, I can get more sales. If I learn how to manage my books better, I can have more money. If I learn how to make a correct investment, I can make more money and make better investments. And suddenly the light bulb went on. And that's, I wish I could have gone back and given my, myself that light bulb at age 13 or 12, because sometimes you meet kids and they're so tuned in and they know what they want to do and they're hard students. Unfortunately, I wasn't that guy. But uh, when it went on, it went on brightly. And now I'm a student of life. I'm constantly uh, learning. I'm addicted to learning. Um, I've learned that you can get anything you want if you're willing to, almost anything you want, if you're willing to put in the time and the effort to pay attention and learn. And one of the things I want, as you mentioned earlier, is a 10 out of 10 relationship with my wife. And uh, I've had to pay attention to a lot of things that, to do them differently because everything that works in business is the exact opposite with your family, right? So in business, it's like, hey, we're going to take this hill. We're going to get everybody marshaled up. We're going to charge up at 5 a.m. And, and when we conquer the hill, we'll share out, you know, lunch. And uh, in, in uh, a family, it's like, hey, honey, what would you like to do today? I don't know. Okay, well, okay. Let me know if you want to do anything. I'll be right here. That's kind of more the way you deal with it. Also with your kids, too. You push them around all the time. They don't enjoy it as much as if you're just like, hey, I'm present to you. What would you like to do? So, But all of that is from learning, reading books, paying attention, seeing what works, what doesn't work. So now I'm, I'm a huge student of life. I've had, I've had a lot of success by paying attention and doing what works. David, that, that's great. Uh, and uh, a follow-up question to all of that would be, how did you learn how to learn. I understand that you weren't a great student in the school system, but yeah, how'd you learn how to learn? You know, a kid said to me one time recently, and I used to say it as a kid, he's like, everything they're teaching us is useless. We're not going to use this in life. And, and unfortunately, I had that same attitude. So knowing the names of all the presidents may be cool if you're going to be a history teacher, but I never was going to be a history teacher. So I don't need to know the names of the president's calculus. I mean, goodness, the goodness, that's a tough class, right? So um, all these things they were teaching us, my attitude was, 
I don't need any of this. It's not practical and I'll never use it in the real world, which a kid said to me the other day. But what I turned around and said to him, based on experience, I said, yeah, that's true. You probably won't use 90% of it, but they're trying to teach you how to learn. And if you get that, then maybe you can apply it. But what, how, how the light bulb went on for me um, was that I was, you know, I was in sales and I took a Dale Carnegie course and Dale Carnegie sales training is some of the best. And, and they taught you how to, you know, isolate the objection and then bury the objection. So if somebody says, Hey, I don't want to buy the house, you know, many salespeople would, a bad salesman would go, okay. And they'd move on to the next one. But a good salesperson goes, what exactly about this house don't you, you like? And they go like, well, I don't like the backyard. Well, what else? This is, you know, do you not like, well, I also don't like the kitchen. What else? That's it. So what you're telling, that's, that's identifying, isolating the objection. Then you're like, so you're telling me if we found a house with a bigger yard and a better kitchen that was exactly the same, then you'd be willing to buy the house. They say, yes. So now you've, you've narrowed down this infinite possibilities of what's wrong with something to two. And, uh, and so I tried it. I took it out with me on the road and I'd work with my clients and I'd use some of the things I'd learned and it worked. And so now all of a sudden I wasn't learning for uselessness sake. I was learning something that would actually make a difference in the income I could make, make a difference in the success of my career. And that's where the light bulb went on. When I actually was taught something that was practical and useful, then I began to see the value in learning and became addicted to it, actually. That's great. Uh, one, of, one of the things that I really appreciated from your Miracle Mornings book was that you said everybody needs to choose to be wealthy. And so I'm curious how you made that decision and then how you learned to become wealthy. Yeah. So we wrote the Miracle Morning Millionaire and we put this analogy in there that imagine if you wanted to be a millionaire and, and you're in a game show and they said there's two doors to choose from, door number one or door number two. And you're like, wow, that's easy. I got a 50-50 chance. But then the game show host goes on to say, and the million dollars is behind door number one. And we really do believe it is that. You know, you've just got to choose door number one. You got to choose wealth. And the an analogy we go on to give is like, let's say you chose to be physically healthy. I mean, I can see your picture here on LinkedIn, Matt. You look like a surfer. You're ripped. You're in good shape, obviously. But if you chose to be healthy, pretty soon you would read a book on health or you'd hang out with healthy people. And you'd learn that what you should eat is the fruits, vegetables, and a, uh, all the stuff on the outside of the store, not the, ins not the processed food and the sugars on the inside of the store. And then you'd learn that if you eat well, you should probably exercise. And you don't have to exercise like an Olympic champion, but you have to exercise a, a moderate amount every day, 45 to an hour every day, or at least five or six days a week. And if you do that, you're going to be healthy, right? All that would come to you if you just said, I choose to be healthy. Wealth is no different. If you choose to be wealthy, like you've got to start with that choice. Like I choose to be wealthy. Um, and then you'll start getting the evidence of, okay, earn some money, make yourself valuable to the marketplace, increase your skill set. You get paid more, save money. Your goal is to go from an earner to a capitalist. Your goal is to go from a person that works for money to a person that has money work for them. Take away all the political implications of that. I know there's a lot of dynamics in society right now where capitalism is viewed on as bad. But the bottom line is it doesn't matter who you are. You, you could take away the labels, but the facts don't change. You're either working for money or you have money that works for you and, and pays you some kind of income. And that hasn't changed, nor will it change, uh, unless the government just gives everybody free money, in which case you'll be limited to a certain limitation. So uh, that's the goal. Um, and if you choose wealth, then you'll start learning these things. And as you apply them, you cannot help but get wealthier. You, you know, your limit, your ceiling may be lower than another person's or maybe higher than another person's. But once you make that choice, 
So for me, I think, um, you know, again, Matt, I wasn't a great athlete. I wasn't a great student. You know, everyone needs something. You know, I played uh, I played Dungeons and Dragons, which let me tell you, is not that cool. The chicks do not dig Dungeons and Dragons when I played it. But I was kind of into that. But I began to see as I got older that that was going to have some limitations. Like I I probably wasn't going to be 30 years old and still playing Dungeons and Dragons. I saw that as I was getting into my late teens. It was kind of getting a little played out to me. I'd done too much of it. But when I got my jobs, I always enjoyed working hard. I just liked hustling. I wasn't the kind of guy that would do the minimum of work. When I was a grocery bagger, I tried to be the fastest bagger. When I had my first job in construction, uh, I remember the second season I went back, I was a landscape gardener or whatever. I was picking a hole and the other worker came over to me and he said, I see you haven't learned. And what he implied was I was going too fast in the Texas sun. And that's just who I was. Like I had a little motor that I had a decent little motor. So so I think what I saw was I could get significance from work. I could get significance from being good at work. And even though some people would think I was crazy, for some reason my internal dialogue was, yeah, but this kind of makes sense. I'm working for somebody. I ought to do the best I can. And I'm working for my ability to get better at work so I can make money. And I began to see money as a pathway to freedom for me. So, you know, it was I guess it built over time, but ultimately – uh, the, the, once I equated money with freedom, I was like, the more money I have, the more free I am. That's when the light really went on. And I wanted to make sure I had enough financial resources to be free. That's awesome, David. And, and I, I think about all the time that yes, if you're able to amass money, then you're going to have more options in this world. And I think that's really important for people to realize. Uh, but I also wanted to to ask you what your personal definition of wealth is, because you're a very well-rounded individual, as far as I can tell you. You travel a lot. Your health is in order. You want a 10 out of 10 relationship with your wife. Uh, you know, it looks like you have a beautiful family. So tell me, could you talk about what really truly being wealthy is is all about to you and if it's totally just about money that's that's fine too no 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 it's not money at all money is just a tool uh, money is just energy it's like the blood pumping through the economic system to me wealth uh, actually comes from the middle ages and it was defined to be welly be with you they used to say like good wealth to you it meant good day prosperity abundance to you i think the closest word i can find is abundance so to me wealth is abundance money Having a large amount of money means that I can take my family on the greatest vacations. It means I can give money to causes. Like I've, I've been giving away so much money recently to these causes that really inspire me. Ending homelessness in Austin with Community First, uh, Habitat for Humanity, because I make so much money in real estate, helping people that are less fortunate than me have their first starter home. Uh, Dell Children's Hospital, because my, my boy was in the NICU for five days, and then seeing the NICUs they have there that are some of the best in the world, and, and the poor people that get served there that just don't have the resources. Um, so that's one of the best. And, and then the other thing is, like, I want to be healthy, so I have a chef prepare food for me once a week. And it doesn't cost that much, so I don't want everyone to roll their eyes and go, easy for you to say, but... You know, money gave me that ability when I didn't have money like everyone else. When I was in college, I was eating ramen and peanut butter on bread. That's all. You know, that's what I could afford. So I could have beer money. Um, but now today I can afford a little more so I can have for five hundred dollars a week. A chef come over and prepare 20 meals for my wife and I and my kids, although the kids never seem to like it um, that, that I love. It could be like uh, kale with salmon on it or, you know, just something trying to stay ketogenic, trying to minimize the carbs, keep the sugars away. And, and all of that comes from, you know, having resources. Resources are just a tool. I've, one of my favorite quotes about money is money doesn't change you. It just exposes you. So if you're a jerk before money, you're going to be a bigger jerk with money. And if you're generous before money, you'll be more generous with money. Uh, but the, the idea of 
abundance is what I'm after. Like life is about balance. It's about giving. It's about receiving. It's about parenting. It's about being a loving mate. And it's about keeping your body in shape while you're here and then building a business that serves people. I mean, we've got a lot of employees, a lot of people doing stuff. One of my greatest pleasures is to see somebody working for me make a financial breakthrough where their life is never the same. We've had a couple you know, maybe five, 10 people become multimillionaires while working in our organization. And, and most of them are still working with us. It's just a great, a great thing to see them get to the other side and see that light come on and, and the fire catch for they're like, oh, the better I get at this, the more money I'll make, the more money I'll make, the more freedom and, and choices I have in life. So to me, it's the it's the whole package. It's abundance. There's no point in being a miserable jerk and being rich. That to me is I you may as well just shoot me in the head and put me out of my misery. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm glad that you I'm glad that you feel that way and and David I wanted to ask how you prioritize your what you value because some people might think all right 500 bucks a, a week uh, you know there's a lot of other things that I could do with two thousand dollars a month but that's attainable for a lot of people and it's all about what you value I think most people listening right now could actually afford that if they decided to move home with their parents and they valued their ketogenic diet, for example. Uh, but I'm curious how, how, if you could help everyone out there start to think about uh, their values because that is you know, where you spend your money is a direct representation of what you literally value in life. Well, and let me be clear, we do it twice a month, not every week. And also it used to be 300 and then we upped it just to get more food. Um, and the answer to that also is, you know, again, five or 10 years ago, I, I probably didn't have the money or the mindset to do this. Um, now that I'm older and now that I have uh, a young family, so I'm, I'm on, I have, my kids are two, nine and 31, just to give you an idea of the range. I had a, I had a kid kind of right around high school, and then I have two younger ones now. And, and it's my commitment to be with them as long as I can. In other words, uh, obviously, I'm not in control of my destiny that way. Something could happen to me tomorrow. I could fall off a cliff or something. But in the meantime, while I'm here, I'm going to do my part to be fully present for my kids for as long as I can. So that includes diet. So then all of a sudden, when you look at the 2,000, well, actually 1,000 a month, say, in, in food that I'm buying, I don't look at it from the money. I look at it from time with my children, time, time into the future to maybe watch them have kids themselves. So that's the values that I'm approaching that with. So I've, I've committed to having the best health I possibly can um, for the rest of this lifetime. And one of those is to eat right. And because I hate cooking, I've got to hire that stuff out. Um, one of my best learning lessons in business was just to let other people do what they're do good at and you do what you're good at. So a lot of people try to do it all themselves, fix their cars, clean their house, mow their yard. Somewhere along the way in my journey, the light went on that if, if I just let a guy mow my yard and I let somebody wash my clothes, the things I don't like to do and cook my food. And then I do what I do best, which is real estate. And I take that, you know, three hours a day or three hours a week, whatever it is that I would be doing that other stuff. And instead I find one more real estate deal that might make my family, you know, 20, 30, $50,000 or $800 a month for the rest of our lives. Uh, that's where I should spend my time. And so that idea of instead of hoarding all the skill sets yourself to try to save a buck, Give it away. Let other people do what they're good at. Let them get paid and then maximize your talent in your specific area. Uh, and I've, I kind of apply that to almost everything today. Even my wife would tell you the hard thing about being married to David is if there's something we want, he figures out a system, puts it in place. And then it's like I, I'm not needed anymore because he's already figured it out. Now, obviously, if my wife wants to do it, I'm going to step back and let her do it. But ultimately, it's like personal trainer for your health. Uh, 
Um, I don't use one, but my wife does. I like to work out by myself, but also, um, you know, the diet, the food, the cleaning, everything, like the accounting, everything gets paid, everything gets taken care of by other people. Because when I was paying my own bills, I kept forgetting to pay something and I'd get a bazillion late fees. That would annoy me. Then I'd get on the phone with them and try to get them waived. And that was annoying. And I'm like, you know, this is stupid. Why don't I just have somebody come over at 35 bucks an hour, two hours a week and pay my bills? Boom, 70 bucks a week. I don't have to deal with my bills anymore. So um, I don't know if I answered your question, but that's where we ended up. I really enjoy what you said there about, again, when you, when your wife says, okay, I want to, I want to do something. And then you go ahead and you solve that problem and you implement that system. And all of a sudden there's a household process and, uh, you know, your, your brain is very much wired like a, like a hardcore entrepreneur. And I'm curious in your leadership style, uh, one of my favorite things to do is to try to give other people like it's it's very hard for me to sit in a meeting and when I know the answer not say it immediately and just get to the point and just tell everybody okay no guys look this is what we should do xyz let's get this done with but I really try to sit there and let other people come to their conclusion conclusions and let them come up with it as if uh, you know have their own ideas about things so I'm, I'm curious if you uh, do anything similar in in uh, your business, especially with the amount of employees you must have? Well, the great thing about having multiple businesses is you can't be at all the meetings. So I think um, I office from home above my garage. I've got my, my, my right-hand guy here and occasionally other people pop in and out. But uh, I don't go to any of my offices. I'm, I'm in shorts and a t-shirt right now. That's my preference. Occasionally, I got to throw on the, the tie and the suit and sometimes even French cufflinks, but that's for the high-end meetings. But generally speaking, I'm working from home. I got, you know, 50 businesses, you said in the bio. I've definitely got uh, probably 30 different office locations. So I can't go. I can't be at the meetings. The second book, thing I would recommend is a book called The One Minute Manager, which I'm sure everyone's heard of. It's a great book. And the bottom line is I've found that if I don't solve my manager's problems, but I let them solve them, they get better, they get stronger, I make more money, they make more money. So I've, I've really learned and to ask questions only. I try to never go to staff meetings. I still get drawn into some occasionally, but I, there's no point in me being there. I'm gonna probably, I'm probably gonna dominate the conversation, even if I'm not the smartest guy in the room because I own the business, they're gonna tend to pay more attention to me than they probably should. And so if I just let my CEO or my president or my manager, whoever's running that, run it, and I don't go into the room, then they get the opportunity to expand the business. All I do is make sure I have a direct relationship with my direct report, the CEO or the head of that company, and then make sure I have clear metrics of what our goals are and check the numbers on a regular basis, which by the way, I have someone that checks the numbers for me now, but I used to check a giant set of financials uh, every month. Um, you know, probably took me three hours, not my natural skill set either, but I knew I had to know the numbers and look through the numbers. So I just made, made sure I sat down in a Starbucks and spent 90 minutes on the financials or maybe even three hours, depending as the world got bigger. So uh, the one minute manager says that if somebody brings you a problem, you just say, hey, Matt, what's the what's the three things you would do to solve this? If you, And they go, I don't know. I said, well, well, if you did know, what would they be? And they tell you and you go, OK, which one of those are you going to try first? And they tell you, you're like, OK, great. I look forward to hearing from you. And it wasn't natural to me at first, but it's natural now. Um, and that's the only way you develop leadership. So if you you know, the philosophy of entrepreneurship is I do it, we do it, they do it. Most entrepreneurs are stuck in I do it or we do it. They don't ever get to they do it, right? Because they do it requires letting go and letting go is really scary. I was kind of forced to let go. That's a separate story. But my dad got cancer about eight years ago, nine years ago. And, and part of looking after him required me to step away from 
from my businesses, cut down my hours from 70 hours a week to 20 hours a week, or, you know, sometimes not at all while I was taking my dad to MD Anderson with, with my mom and so forth. But, uh, when I, what I found is when I let go and I just asked those questions and I stayed tuned in without being overbearing or smothering the business, uh, they did just as well as they did without me. And in many cases better. So that was my aha. Like, uh, I mean, if, if you could do better without you in the business than in it, why would you be in it? Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and not stressed out about everything. That's, that's certainly a stage, uh, that I've been coming across. We have a team of about almost 30 people now, and, uh, I want to be everywhere and do everything still like it was day one of the business and, uh, and letting go of that is really important. And for anybody who's listening, we will link up in the show notes, uh, some of the resources, all of the resources that David mentioned, uh, with, uh, the one minute manager. It's, it's definitely a book that, uh, that I recommend as well. Uh, and David, I wanted to kind of get us back onto the path of, of, uh, helping people build wealth here, uh, but I wanted to ask you what keeps your motor and uh, motor running, as you refer to it as. Yeah. So, and one little small correction, I want to be clear. You said not feel stress. I do feel stress. That would be a lie if I said I don't feel stress. I just trust my managers. I delegate to the right people. I became an expert in hiring. There's a lot of classes I took and books I read on hiring. Um, and I think I hire really good people. And so it's a disservice to get in their way, but it's not like I don't, I'm not stressed all the time, but there are moments when I have a lot going on where I sometimes have a few nights where I can't sleep. I mean, that never really fully goes away. And then there are other times when I'm on a vacation with my family, I don't even think about it. Uh, so I've gotten way better at managing the stress. I don't think it ever goes away. The motor that, you know, what drives my motor is my goal setting and my vision. Like what I've learned is to constantly have a compelling vision for my future. Um, I, I have a goal template that I use. You can, your, your listeners can have it. It's at thegoaltemplate.com. Very simple, thegoaltemplate.com. But I, I keep my goals in relationship, family, spiritual contribution, physical nutrition, uh, intellectual educational, lifestyle adventure, environment, tribe, personal financial material, and then business goals. So eight, I call those the eight gardens of life. And I just try to manage those gardens. So every year I sit down, you know, in December or November, October and say, okay, 2019 is coming up. What do I want to have happen in 2019? And I just sort of start free flowing ideas through my journal. I'm a big time journal. I write stuff down all over the place. Um, and, and, you know, compelling, like you can have anything. Like that's the cool thing about this. Once you develop the skill of accountability and kind of the science of thinking and, and leading your life the way you want it to go, you can have almost anything. So I write about 80 goals every year. And for instance, this year, I'm going to take my entire family to go see the Northern Lights. Last year, I took my entire family to go see the uh, uh, eclipse, the full eclipse in Jackson Hole. And uh, one of my goals this year is to spend a month in Europe uninterrupted with my family. Uh, so I just write down these really cool things that require continued personal growth. Uh, I've started a new company. Our goal is to get it to a billion dollars under management. It's now six months old. Um, you know, th th there's, uh, my health, just trying to get my health right. My, my, I'm on the keto diet right now, like I mentioned. So I'm trying to get my weight right where I want it. My body as strong as I need it. Um, you know, I'm, my goal is to write a book a year at the moment. So just all these things that I'm inspired by that, you, you know, the, 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 the me of 20 years ago to have been like, I don't know if that's even po possible, but today I'm like, I've kind of figured out how to keep all these engines running through the right people, the right team, keeping the revenue coming in, then deploying it again with people that are really good at doing their particular jobs. And uh, this has been a journey of, you know, 24 years of, of you know, entrepreneurialism. 
Um, but that keeps me inspired. It keeps me fired up. I mean, one of my goals is to see if I can give away $100 million in my lifetime. So that's another interesting thing I've added in the last few years is I've given, I give away more money every year than the year before. And it's not a, it's getting to be a reasonable amount of money. It's not a small amount of six figures. And, and it's an interesting thing just to write a check and be like, oh, OK, there that goes. Let's see what happens with that. Positive. What's good? What's going to come back from that? So all these things inspire me. And then I create a five-year vision every year and look forward five years. I write a letter to myself as if it was in the future um, five years from now. And I'm, I always start with my wife, my family, my kids, what's going on there, who's around us, what the business looks like. Uh, so I just kind of create a compelling future for myself. And then every time, and then I read that, that goal sheet, I read it once a week, at least 50 times a year is my goal. It's a living, breathing, dynamic document. It's, it's an agreement with me, with myself that I can change. So if anything's not working for me, I just cross it off. If something new comes up, I add it on. I strike Roman numerals, like work out 240 times. I can tell you, I, I worked out 90 times the first half of the year, so I'm behind, right? So, uh, but I've worked out, you know, 14 times here in July already. So I'm ahead in July. So I just, it's like a living, breathing flight plan for me that I'm fully engaged with. Ideally, I'm up at 5.30 in the morning, checking out my journal, checking out my goals, reading something inspirational and getting on with my miracle morning. Um, and and that's how I keep myself fired up. And I'm way better at it than I used to be. I used to kind of write goals and not look at them for a year, forget about them, not get anything done, but sort of get some stuff done. And today I'm just like, that's my script for my life. I don't fall into politics. I don't fall into sports. I don't really watch much TV. I like a good movie. I like a good sports game. I like uh, occasionally reading something about some politician that's trying to change the world, but mostly... I've got my script. I'm playing. I'm playing David Osborne's movie. I'm not playing anybody else's movie, and I'm trying to be the best star I can be in my own movie. That's awesome. Those are those are some some really incredible uh, inspirational things there. So so thank you for for being so open and sharing that with with our audience, David. Uh, there was a lot of information there in the goal templates, and I just wanted to backtrack and see. So I realize you have uh, the eight different categories in uh, under which each of your goals fall. Uh, and then could you could you elaborate a little bit? Do your kind of personal mission and vision and values fall in that template as well? Is that something you also keep track of uh, that you have written down somewhere that you uh, read or, or visualize uh, yourself as well? Yeah, could you tell, tell us about that, please? Yeah, so my mission statement is to achieve success in life while helping others to achieve success. So I've had that for a long time, right? And that's locked in. Um, I think my values come through based on the goals. When I coach people on goals, I'm like, be careful you don't set intentions. It's okay to have an intention sheet too. So an intention is to be healthy. A goal is to work out 240 times. So I try to, and, and intentions always slip into your goals and that'll that's more of a reflection of your values and that's cool too. But but I'm absolutely committed to actionable items that I can measure. So, um, yeah, so my values obviously show up. I put my relationship family at the very top of my goal sheets. And the reason I do that is in the past when I was building my businesses, it's the part I neglected. Um, I'm a way better dad today than I was 20 years ago. I'm a way better husband today than I was as a boyfriend 20 years ago. And what I found was as I started developing this philosophy of, you know, having a flight plan for my life that's my goals and um, writing down all the things I wanna get, what I found is I had to prioritize those. So what I chose to prioritize was the one that at that time I wasn't very good at, which is relationship family. So I make sure I always start with an epic vacation for my family every year, 24 date nights with my wife, um, you know, three daughter 
dad days with my nine-year-old, uh, travel once with my older daughter somewhere amazing. So all of these things reflect my values for sure. And I start there. And, and what's funny is now I don't even think I need to put it first anymore. I, I, I just came to the realize talking to you right now that I think I'm now doing that at a way better level than I ever used to do because I used to always skip over that part so I could work more. Uh, and then spiritual contribution, as I said, giving away that money, reading a spiritual book, meditating or praying a, a hundred times is my goal, which means a hundred miracle mornings. Even though I wrote a book, A Miracle Morning Millionaire, I'm not perfect at it. I miss a lot just depending on if I'm traveling or what's going on. I'm trying to get better and better at that. Every day I start with my miracle morning is a better day. Um, and then I'm on a board of directors of a nonprofit and stuff like that. Uh, and then physical nutrition. So it just goes on like, yes, my values would be reflected in there. More than anything, uh, if you've ever flown an airplane, they set out a flight path and then they change it the whole way. There's constant micro adjustments all the way from getting from, say, you know, Austin, Texas to L.A. or Costa Rica, where you are. And um, and that's what your my goal sheet is. It's really my flight plan for 2018. And then I make course corrections all the way along through it. Am I on track? Am I off track? Is this goal no longer serving me? Um, one of the things I haven't done this year, for instance, under intellectual education, I wanted to start spitting out three pages 50 times. I haven't done it once. Uh, so what does that mean? Like I was going to write for a medium or different, you know, I just write little articles, three pages, boom, 50 times. I haven't even started that. So is that going to live? I don't know. I'm not going to give up on it yet. Uh, but for sure, it's not rolled out on me naturally yet. And if it doesn't fit my, my role, my personality, I'll find another way to get it done. Um, so yeah, that goal, that goal template is really my flight plan. I got my business goals too. I got a new business. We're on a, we're, we're, we're going to try to get to a billion under management, but we're right now this year, my goal is 50. We're at 28 million that we've raised 80 million with capital, what with lending. I've got another business. I bought a tech company that our goal is to get the revenue over a million. Um, so all, all of it's encapsulated in this one page of notes of goals. And, and I just look at it, you know, every week and probably three or three times a week, most weeks, and then some weeks, not at all when I'm traveling. If I go for a vacation on a month, I may forget to look at it the whole time. Um, and so, the, yeah, that's that's how I get stuff done. No, I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate you sharing with us that some years have been better than others for this process. And sometime in your life, even as a as a super successful guy, sometimes you, you do uh, tend to veer in the other direction and forget about these pieces of paper that are, are so important to you. So yeah, thank you for, for being transparent about that and yeah, and being honest with us. Uh, and, and David, I wanted to uh, really try to dive into some of the strategies that you talk about uh, in in both your books here on wealth creation, so if uh, physical if monetary wealth is important to people, and I really think it, that it should be important to people if they want more options in life, what would you tell people whether they have money saved, whether they don't have money saved? How would you get them started? Well. I want to be clear too. You said to be on, you know, you're, you're implying, yeah, I want to be clear how bad I was at goal setting at first. I took a class and I'm not going to get into the details that changed my life because I was told to write down 24 goals and, you know, for a year. And then I put that piece of paper somewhere and never looked at it again for a, you know, a year. And then I found out I'd done half the things on that piece of paper that I'd been forced to think of in that class. And I was like, wow, like I didn't even look at this and I did half of them. What, what if I looked at it every day? So that was the beginning of my goal setting journey. But I had years where I was terrible. Like I, I'd have nine months go by and I'd done one out of 20 things I'd written down. Today, you're seeing a man who's been working on this for 24 years 
who's found and gotten the positive reinforcement of like one. Hey, imagine if you set the goal of one epic vacation every year and boom, you got that epic vacation. That's like massively reinforcing. And before I wrote it down every year that I want to do an epic vacation, I didn't do an epic vacation with my family every year. So, the you know, seeing that full eclipse of the sun going to Norway and kayaking in the fjords and next year, this year, going to see the northern, the, 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 uh, the Aurora Borealis, all of these things are like reinforcing this behavior of setting and managing my goals. Um, so I, I just want to say how how lame I was at the beginning and how good I am at it now. But it, people need to understand it's a journey of 24 years. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. So, and now going on to your second question, like, you know, how do you build wealth? Uh, the, it starts with really it starts with adding value to the marketplace, right? And so the way you add value to the marketplace is improve yourself, personal growth, personal development. I remember a guy telling me one time that personal development was for people that were messed up. And I thought, man, you're one of the most messed up humans I know. So if you're telling me that, I'm going to do as much personal development as I possibly can. Um, but so personal development means reading the books. Jim Rohn is one of my favorite. Jim Rohn turned on so many lights for me. If you've ever heard Jim Rohn, The Extraordinary Life, it's like 49 bucks right now. It might be less on somewhere out there in the Internet. And uh, I just listened to that one over and over again. I listened to it so much, I tried to teach it. And I tried to teach it almost verbatim the way he spoke it. Like I would even repeat his words while listening to it on a cassette tape. Back in those days, we had cassette tapes. Um, so you got to add value to the marketplace. That's how you start with wealth. Uh, the second thing is you have to think bigger. Like you got to think bigger all the time. Challenge yourself, not delusionally big. But just ask yourself, okay, what can I do realistically this year? Okay, maybe I can increase my sales by 20%. Well, how about trying to increase them 50%? And then how about 100%? All right, that's possible. It's a stretch. And then boil that down to the actions you would have to take today. Again, all of these are things you learn by this personal growth journey. What you learn is you can't do everything, but you can do the most important things. And so if you wrote down the seven most important things to do each day, and then you just did the number one thing every single day, your life would start to change. Uh, the, the other thing I would say is to be the star of your own life. Get out of don't fall into the trap of thinking that, you know, the TV show you're watching is you know more important than your life or that your team, your sports team winning is more important than your life or that some political movement that you're attached with is more important than your life. Unless that is your life. Right. You, you, it's better off to have an agenda for your life that serves you, your family, your community, the difference you want to make, and then stay on that agenda. Don't get distracted. There's too many distractions out there in the world. And I'm certainly guilty of being as distracted as anybody else by something I see on the internet or somebody texting me or things going sideways. But the difference is I course correct constantly because in that 5.30 a.m. appointment I have with myself, when I pull out my journal and look at my goals, I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 this is what's important our family. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My health is super important to me. Let's, you know, let's not drink as many margaritas as I did last Sunday, this coming Sunday, or let's make sure I get my workouts in. Um, and so I have my own, you know, agenda for my life. I have my own movie script for my life. I have my own football playbook for my life. And that's what I'm playing from. And I don't get distracted on whether is LeBron a bad guy from, for going from one team to the other team or, you know, all that stuff that some people get really like ramp amped about. I take that energy and pour it into improving my skill set and my value to the marketplace and then follow my strategic plan. And then the other thing about wealth is you can't have dead money. Your money can't just be sitting there. You've got to put it to work. Um, and putting it to work for me means buying assets that create income. So that's why I love real estate. Real estate is pretty simple. You park a rental property in there. If you bought it right, it has positive cash flow. And then the, 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 the tenant, the uh, resident of your, of your home 
they pay off your mortgage for you. You treat them really nicely. You look out for them. You make sure they have a nice place to live. And in 15 years, if you put it on a 50-year mortgage, you own that house free and clear thanks to your tenants. Um, and then people say, oh, yeah, but I don't want to have to manage that. Well, I don't manage any of it either. I hire a manager for every property I have. Well, I used to try to manage it myself. I learned I'm not very good at that. So I hired a manager. And guess what? They take 8%, which is less than you would tip your waiter. Um, and they'll manage your property for you. You don't have to deal with it. So, And then build that into the price so that you make sure you have positive cash flow. Now, if you do that with one, two, three, or four assets, uh, while you're working, you have assets that are like trees growing in the forest and bearing fruit. The sunlight nurtures them. You don't have to do anything. The soil nurtures them. The economy nurtures them. The residents pay off your mortgages and so on and so forth. So you have to take action to build wealth. And then lastly, the best way to build wealth is to start a business. It's also the riskiest, I think, Probably eight or nine out of 10 real estate deals that are smartly thought through go well, and probably eight out of 10 businesses fail. So it's the riskier method, but the best way to create the most amount of wealth is to start a business. And the thing about that is I failed in a ton of businesses. I've had bank, you know, I've never had a bankruptcy personally, but I've had to close businesses down, shut doors, let people go. It's really heartbreaking to do that. Um, but like anything else in life, if you apply yourself, you're going to get better at it. So. If you're going to do a business, get after it right now. The sooner the better. And go out there and fail as quickly as possible and make the mistakes because every mistake you make takes you one step further to not making mistakes. So the big wealth is built through owning a business. Um, the, the beginning of wealth is built through increasing your value in whatever career profession you have. And then the middle, val you know, the middle way to build wealth is to buy assets like rental properties and let that grow over time. Well, thank you for, for sharing that framework with us, David. I wanted to, to ask you, with someone who has so much going on, how do you deal with distractions? How do you, how do you personally block them out and prioritize your time? You know, I, I wouldn't say, um, you know, I, I have a fully scheduled day. So, like, my days are very full. Didn't used to be. I remember, I remember wondering what I was going to do on the weekend back when I was younger, like being bored and stuff like that. But today... I have a team that kind of manages my schedule and they, they book this appointment with you and so on and so forth. And they, they keep my life on track and it's not like I have a lot of time anymore to be distracted. So, um, if I go through my work day, I just look at my calendar every morning and that's my flight plan set by my team. And I, I execute that flight plan. The only input I might have is they might say, Hey, do you want to meet with this guy? Or do you want to talk with that guy? I'm like, sure, fit it in. Um, and then, um, and then when I get done with that, I got my family. And I've already told you how I commit to my family, right? And what I've learned with my kids is when I play with them, they love me and they enjoy hanging out with me. And if I ignore them because I'm working or I'm watching a TV show, then they're, then our relationship is not as full. And so once I made the decision to be the best father I possibly could be, that means that, you know, eight out of 10 times now, probably nine out of 10, my dad, my, I could be exhausted, but my kid wants to pick up a hockey stick and hit the ball around. I'm going to pick up the hockey stick and hit it with him. And then one out of 10, I make the, the weaker choice. And I'm like, I can't take this. I'm going to go in my room and watch something stupid, like a bad sci-fi movie. And I do that sometimes as well. But I'm always aware that my decision is to be a great father because that's my values. Um, I've got it, you know, written on my goals. And so, I, I tune out like sports. I used to be much more into my sports teams. Now I'm like, I'll watch it if I'm available and it's on. I still enjoy it, but I'm not scheduling my life around watching football um, like I used to enjoy it. Um, you know, I just don't let things come in that aren't part of my agenda. I, I have a probably I'm distracted mostly by Facebook because it's on my dang phone. And if I could figure out how to eliminate that, I would. But it still kind of captures me for probably 45 minutes a day. Um, and I'm willing to cut it out if I need to. Right now, I'm trying to kind of build a following and sell books and different things. So there's a reason to be engaged. 
Um, but I still think there's a massive amount of time wasted on social media. Um, and then I just, I do something called a life audit. Like I reflect a lot, like what's going right, what's not going right when I'm journaling. Like what could I want more of? If you've ever heard of more of, less of, you write down on one side what you want more of in your life and the other side what you want less of. And if something's showing up all the time is something I need less of, then I just put in a system in place to eliminate it. Um, one of the things we've done in our house is cleaned out the food a lot. So we still have some, some sneaky snacks, some dirty snacks, I'll call them like unhealthy, maybe one bag of chips, but we're pretty lean. If I'm, if I'm hungry, like I often am in the afternoon, I go through my house. I don't really have an option of eating bad food because there's just not very much in my house. You know, I got to, you know, I can have an apple or I can have like some nuts. I got a bunch of nuts on the counter or, or I can go like reheat some of my chef's food, but it's not like I've got a, a Snickers bar laying anywhere. It's not like I have a big blue bell thing of ice cream in the refrigerator. We we manage our environment and our systems not to increase our level of discipline, but really to minimize the level of temptation. Minimizing the level of temptation. Jeez, yeah, I think that is that is so important. David, do you, do you schedule uh, and block out in your calendar free time? Uh, obviously, there's time for for your family and for your kids, I'm, I'm sure, but do you block out time where you might allow yourself to get bored or journal or just do nothing so you're not going, going, going all the time? Yeah, I mean, I have a house in Colorado and when we go up there, my cell phone doesn't work in the house, which is extremely convenient. Yeah. And so it's harder for me to be distracted when I'm up there. Bored? I don't know. Usually even on my downtime, I'm either hiking or golfing. I mean, there used to, again, there were times when I had more boredom and I don't say that it was terrible, but I don't dislike it. But I'm also moving, you know, I think life expands outwards, especially when you're fully engaged and your options increase, they don't decrease. So what I'm finding as I, as I get older here is that I just have so many options of things I love to do that there's not a lot of times I'm just sitting around doing nothing. But occasionally my wife and I will kick back and watch a movie. We watched Laura Croft Tomb Raider last night, the new one. Uh, it took us two viewings. We watched half hour two days ago and we watched the other half of it last night because it wasn't that great. Um, <laughs> but I guess that's as close as I get to just boredom. Um, other than that, I, it's very rare that I'm just sitting around doing nothing. But I, I used to do more of that. And, you know, there's some value in sometimes just doing nothing. Great, great. Well, uh, David, before I, I let you go, I was hoping you could bring us through your, your morning routine and what you might recommend to people. So I'm a huge fan of, of Hal Elrod and the, the Miracle Morning community. My book is Miracle Morning Millionaires. Uh, Hal has the savers, and here's how it works. You can do uh, you know an hour in the morning, but it doesn't have to be perfect. So it's just really a guideline. It starts with silence. Um, and I, I, I usually in my silence will pray a little bit. I'm not a, I don't, I'm not a religious man, but I like to, you know, be spiritual. I like to pray. And so I'll just ask for a day of gratitude and abundance and, you know, things like that. Pray maybe for anybody that I know that's not doing well. Um, I try to meditate a little bit, which is really just watching my breath. So then I move into my affirmations and, you know, I had a affirmation could be like, Today, when I meet people, let me be gracious. Let me be of service to them. Let me be of value. If I'm on a podcast today, please allow me to bring value to the people that are listening. I'm going to speak clearly. I'm going to speak uh, honestly and with integrity. I'm going to speak to the issues that people want to hear about. Um, or if I have a meeting, like let me be present in the meeting. Let me listen to their needs. Let me identify whether they're a right candidate for us. Um, and then I do visualizations and visualizations are closing my eyes. I, I recently won a golf tournament. You know, golf's this uh, silly game people play that takes a lot of time and costs a lot of money, but I happen to be one of them. And um, I visualized myself kissing this crystal cup that was the tournament prize. And, you know, 
there was 30 teams in the tournament. They're all good. I'm not the best by far. I'm in the middle of the pack probably. Um, but I visualized that every day. I saw myself being gracious to the fellow competitors. And, you know, it's funny. I made it into the playoff on a wild card and we ended up winning the whole thing. And it was just the whole way, even in the, in the, in the playoffs, I was, I just closed my eyes and I'd see myself kissing that cup and I felt so calm. Now it doesn't always work that way, but in this particular case, I felt like visualization really helped create manifest that as a reality, but I also visualize myself being with present with my kids, being present with my wife. Um, then reading and scribing is, so I try to read something inspirational for five or 10 minutes. Uh, scribing would be writing in my journal, which, you know, I'm already pretty good at. I've got about 60, 70 journals. If every wealth, if every position I have went away from me, I'd want to keep my journals. And then for exercise, I usually try to get my wife to agree to go for a walk with me around the neighborhood with the dog and the, and the kid, the little boy. My daughter's usually still sleeping. Um, and then on my own time, I'll lift weights and stuff, but that, that doesn't usually happen in the morning. So that's my savers. That's the miracle morning routine. And that's what I try to follow through. By the way, I'll do all that with a cup of uh, green tea. The first thing I like to do in the morning is make my green tea, uh, sometimes black tea too. I was raised in England. So with a dash of milk. Um, and then, uh, when I'm finished with all that, that's in my very comfy clothes Then just do my exercise and then boom, meet the day. And usually I can get all of that done by probably, 6 30 to 7 o'clock and if i and the days i do that are the best days i have and and again it's probably only 30 to 40 percent of the days in the year where i actually get all six in um but man those are great days that that sounds like a great morning and and actually on that note david w will you just uh tell everybody how they can do the short version of that if they don't have an hour in the morning uh because you you were able to break it down with Hal there into, I think it was six minutes, just a, a, a minute on each of those, uh, is that SAVERS acronym. Yeah, yeah, and let me be clear. I said it's a rough guideline. I almost never do a full hour. So my silence is usually two or three minutes, but Hal has one where you do each one for one minute. Silence, affirmations, visualizations, uh, reading and scribing in six minutes. You, you know, And then I don't know quite what he does for exercise in a minute because I haven't quite figured that one. I guess one around the kitchen for like a minute. Get your blood rate up. I think he says get up and do jumping jacks for a minute. But if nothing else, in six minutes, you can do that. The other thing I would add to that, Matt, is sometimes I do three of them in my bed. I'll do I'll do my silence in my bed lying beside my wife. I'll do my affirmations because I always wake up before her, and I'll do my visualizations lying in bed beside her because I don't want to wake her up and disturb her. And so sometimes that's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Uh, then I hop out of bed. All I got to do is read and scribe, which I love doing anyway. And then the exercise again, I think that's a, a different story. So Hal has a method where you do each one of those in one minute and that's the six minute. What I think people must understand is don't get locked in on the formality of it. Don't get locked in on the structure. Get locked in on the, the reason you're doing it. And the reason you're doing it is to take control of your agenda for your life. The reason you're doing it is to manifest your own future. That's why you're doing it. Once you get the why, the how doesn't matter as much. It's just get on with it. Well, David, I think you have certainly uh, led people in the right direction to start to uh, lead the direction of, of their own lives and, and take control of that. Uh, if people want to reach out to you on social media, well, first of all, your, your two books, Wealth Can't Wait and Miracle Morning Millionaires. Uh, I highly recommend you guys going and checking that out. But if people want to reach out with you, engage with you on social media, where can they find you, David? They would find me at davidosborne.com, spelled O-S-B-O-R-N.com. Um, or you could go to thegoaltemplate.com and find me on Facebook just under David Osborne. I'm out there as a public person, um, and I'm happy to help anybody in any way. We do all kinds of goofy stuff to help people out. So if anyone reaches out, 
I was on the phone with a girl from Denmark the other day. She was asking me a real estate question. Why she thought I knew about Den- Danish real estate, I don't know, but she was a lovely lady and I was happy to talk to her and hear all about uh, what she was up to in Denmark. And so we'll help any way we can, man. It's all about giving back and what goes around comes around. So it's been a pleasure to be on your show, Matt, and you know, keep up the great work of spreading the word of abundance. Awesome. Thank you, David. Listeners, if you have been a listener for a while, you probably know my own personal story, my hero's journey, if you will, about quitting my life in New York, living on Wall Street, being stressed out, not taking care of myself, and going on an epic quest to Iceland that completely changed the course of my life. And you've probably heard about our travel company for young people ages 21 to 35, under 30 experiences. Now, this is not a commercial for under 30 experiences. However, I want to share with you the magic of what travel has done for me. You guys have heard me talk about this on different podcasts, speaking all over the world about this and sharing what I learned about myself and about the world with other people, Uh, but mainly focused inwardly when I traveled to be able to gain experiences, to be able to, you know, really just experience new things that gave me a completely different perspective and propelled me to start taking care of myself mentally, physically, and spiritually, something that I really had never considered before. So, If you are interested ongoing on your own epic quest, I would love to get to know you better this fall in Bali, Indonesia, September 30th on our yoga and mindfulness retreats. If you have never practiced yoga in your entire life, if you don't know what mindfulness is whatsoever, I really don't care. I think you should come anyway and come to the rice paddies of a a magical place in Indonesia, Villa Awang Awang, where we're going to give you a real cultural experience with our partners there on the ground, seeing what it's actually like to to be part of a community uh, there in the Balinese village where we're going to stay. Yes, we're going to practice yoga, eat as healthy as we can, get to know one another, and just have an amazing experience and see what comes out of it. So if you want to be part of this, I suggest you check out under30experiences.com and click the link to the yoga retreat on Bali. If you have heard the previous podcast with Luz Garcia, our amazing yoga teacher, She's going to be there. She has over 1,500 hours of yoga teacher training. And I'd really love the opportunity to get to know you, to get to hear your story and uh, share a week with you in someplace amazing. So if if you want to commit to changing your life for the better, come join us this fall in Bali.